And what we're going to talk about today really has, has kind of hit me a, li- a little lately. How many of you ever think about the end of your life? You can raise your hand. Wow, a lot, a lot more than you I thought. But a lot of you here, you're young and you're probably thinking, my end of my life is for, you know, a long, long way away. Well, I've been thinking, uh, so I, I, I turned 30 uh, three and a half years ago, and the day I turned 30, I started thinking the world was coming to an end because I was getting old. And the reality is, is like, no, I'm young and life starts at 40, right? So I got seven years of my life to go before I hit 40. But the reality is I started thinking of the end of, of my life. And so... One thing that I like to do, which is kind of a little strange, is I like to read the, uh, the odd uh, obituary of somebody. And so uh, I've got two I want to read for you t- this morning because I thought these were very interesting. And the first one I- I- is this. It's, by, uh, uh, it's for a guy called Roosevelt Conway. The homecoming celebration for Roosevelt Conway the sun rise, December 24th, 1946, but when the sun set, Roosevelt was gone. He passed away at 7 p.m., April 2nd, 2005. He was born in Bonita, Louisiana, to the reunion of his beautiful mother, Anne-Marie Conway, and his mean father, Agree Conway. In 1966, he came to Los Angeles, California, where he resided with the Woods family. Mrs. Woods became his second mother. This is where he met and fell in love with his wife, Pee Wee, also known as Theo Dorothy. Later, they moved to Compton, California, where she bared his children, Patricia and Cedric Conway. And then it says, she's a bleep good mother. I won't repeat what word it says. She's a bleep good mother who was faithful and devoted to her man. She was too devoted. She got a wake-up call. They parted. She never went back, but she never stopped caring and doing good things for him. Like now, he didn't have an insurance policy, but Pee Wee made it possible. She made sure he is having a good, proper burial service. But Pee Wee made uh, uh, right now. She will help anyone as long as they are not playing games. But it's time for people to start, stop giving, uh, start giving back to her and stop calling her on her so much. I thought this was the guy's obituary, not the woman's. And it says... Roosevelt was a good man. He was a jealous man who needed anger management classes, jealous over his women. He didn't want any other man speaking or buying anything for his women. Percy Ledge summed it up with his song, When a man loved a woman, can't keep his mind on nothing else. The first time meeting Roosevelt, you probably wouldn't like him because of his choice words and the harshness of his tone. He reminds BJ of that TV, TV series, Mr. T. What are you looking at, fool? That's his obituary. Well, how about this one instead? A lady called Dolores, Dolores Aquilia, born in 1929 in New Mexico. She left us on August 7, 2008. She will be met in the afterlife by her husband, Raymond, her son, Paul Jr., and daughter, Ruby. She is survived by her daughters, uh, Moretta, uh, Mitza, Stella, Beatrice, Virginia, and Ramonia, and son, Billy, grandchildren, Donnell, Joe, Mitza, Maria, Maria, uh, Mario, Marty, uh, Tynette, Tania, Letta, Alexandria, Tommy, Bill, and there's like about another 25 names. 
And then it says, I apologize if I missed anyone. And listen to this. This is kind of sad. Dolores had no hobbies. Dolores made no contribution to society and rarely shared a kind word or deed in her life. I speak for the majority of her family when I say her presence will not be missed by many. Very few tears will be shared and there will be no lamenting for her passing. Her family will, be, will, will remember Dolores and amongst ourselves will remember her in our own way, which was mostly sad and troubling times throughout the years. We may have some fond memories of her and perhaps all we can think of uh, are those times too. But I truly believe at the end of the day, all of us will really only miss what we never had. A good and kind mother, grandmother, and great-grandmother. I hope she is finally at peace with herself. As for the rest of us left behind, I hope this brings the time of healing that our family needs. There will be no service, no prayers, no closure for the family she spent a lifetime tearing apart. We can come together at the end to see her children, grandchildren, and great-grandchildren. But for now, this is the only goodbye she will get. How sad is that? I read that and I chuckled, but the more I thought about it, the more I got depressed, the more depressed. I thought, how could somebody end their life like that? And when you are taking your final breaths, in life, I wonder what you will remember about your life. I wonder what other people will remember about your life. I wonder what regrets you will have. I wonder if you will look back on your life and you will think, my life was a life well lived. People strive for so much in life. We strive for a well-paying job. We strive for a bigger house, a nicer car, more money in the bank, maybe more status among our peers. We strive for the Ravens to win the Super Bowl. We want to be successful. We want to do good things in life. We want to be happy. We want to be content. But at the end of the day, does it mean that you've had a life well lived? When you start taking the final breaths, will the extra mortgage payment be worth it? Will those extra shifts that you have taken make a difference? Will the risks and sacrifices that you've made in your life pay off? And the answer to that is, there's no way to know. There's no way to know. Because nobody knows what tomorrow will hold, and that's the problem with life. Every day, people pass from this life. And, and what mark will they have left in this life? More importantly, though, are they ready to pass or have they unfinished business left in this life? There are a few people in this life who can honestly say that they had a life well lived. A life well lived. And I don't believe those people are people like Hugh Hefner or people like that. But there was one guy who I believe could say, uh, on his heart, he could say, I had a life well lived. And his name was Paul. He was known as the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul started out his life walking in one direction. And the direction was a life to nothingness. It was a direction to destruction. 
It was a life of hatred. It was a life of trying to, to, to pour hatred into others and convince others that this life was all about just religion and customs and, and the Jewish faith. And then one time in his life, he met somebody called Jesus on a road, and Jesus came, and, and, and he revealed himself to Paul. And at that moment, instead of Paul walking this direction, Paul decided to walk the other direction. And the other direction was a direction where he would give life to people instead of taking life from people. And at the end of Paul's life, Paul completed his purpose in life. Paul completed all the things that he wanted to do in life. Paul completed his bucket list. He fulfilled his desires. And at the end of Paul's life, Paul could say, I had a life well lived. You know, Paul had many friends in his life. And at the end of Paul's life, Paul makes a journey back to Jerusalem where kind of he started all, all, all his life. He was from, he was a Jewish man from the, 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 the region of Judea. And at the end of his life, he, well, all his life he traveled to Europe. And now he was making his way back to Judea and to Jerusalem. And on the way, he wanted to stop by and say goodbye to a lot of his friends. And so one of his friends was in a city called Ephesus. And uh, he, had, he had started this church at Ephesus, and he wanted to say goodbye to the friend, his friends. So he was sailing uh, past uh, uh, Greece, and then Ephesus is in Turkey. And he stopped at a port that was probably about an hour away from Ephesus. And he didn't want to go to Ephesus because it would take him out of his uh, way on his journey. So he called for the elders from that church to come and meet him. And when the elders came, Paul had one final conversation with them. And this was the conversation. This is how it went. In Acts chapter 20 and verse 18, it says this. It says, when the elders arrived, Paul declared, you know that from that day forward, I set foot on the province of Asia until now. I have done the Lord's work humbly and with many tears. I have endured the trials that came to me from the plots of the Jews. I never shrank back from telling you what you needed to hear, neither publicly nor in your homes. I have had one message for Jews and Greeks alike, the necessity of repenting from sin and turning to God, and of having faith in the Lord Jesus. And now I am bound by the Spirit to go to Jerusalem, I don't know what awaits me there except that the Holy Spirit tells me in city after city that jail and suffering lies ahead. But my life is worth nothing to me unless it is for finishing the work assigned to me by the Lord Jesus. The work of telling others the good news of the wonderful grace of God. And now I know that none of you, none of you to whom I have preached the kingdom will ever see me again. His last words to these people. Then he says, I declare that I've been faithful to anyone who suffers. Uh, I've been faithful, and if anyone suffers eternal death, it's not my fault. For I didn't shrink back from declaring all that God wants you to know. Did you hear that? Paul says, I did not shrink back in what I was doing in my life. I was faithful to the end. I was faithful in my work. This man, Paul, really had no regrets 
in life. In everything that he'd done, he'd given it 110%. However, for Paul, there was something much more in life. In verse 24 of, of what we read, it just said this. It says that Paul tells us, unless he finishes the task of telling others about Jesus Christ, then this life that he lives would be worth nothing. Worth nothing. He was a man who knows his purpose in life. Imagine this for a moment. Paul, for those of you who don't know much about the Apostle Paul, he had an up and down life. I mean, he went through trials. He, he went through shipwrecks. He went through beatings. He had good times. He had bad times. I mean, this guy went through everything like you could imagine in life. But he says this. If I do not continue until the end to preach the good news of Jesus Christ, to tell the good news of Jesus Christ to other people, then my life would be worth nothing. All the education he got, he was a well-educated guy. All the money he made in his business, he, he had his own business, it was a tent-making business. All the journeys and the travels he took, all the places he saw, all the different people he met, the friends he met, he said it would be worth nothing if I didn't continue to preach the good news of Jesus Christ. For Paul, that was his purpose in life. That was his mission. And I ask you today, what is the one thing in your life that you need to do and continue to do, otherwise your life would be worth nothing? I believe every one of us was put on this earth for a reason, for a purpose. And unless you find that purpose and you start walking in that purpose and fulfilling that purpose, then maybe at the end of your day, you might have an obituary like those two people that I read before. Their lives were worth nothing. Nothing. Paul knew his life was about committing everything to Jesus Christ. And I don't know about you today, but I want my life to count for something. I want, at the end of my life, when, when somebody is writing about my life, I want them to write good things that Alex gave life to others. Alex encouraged others. Alex gave to others, supported others. Alex was a joy to be around. Alex laughed often. I want things like that, not like he was miserable. And what are you looking at, fool? This man, Paul, he knew what it was like to live a life well lived. And you know, one thing I've discovered is that if you've ever been with somebody when they're on the last, taking their last breath, maybe you're, you're sitting by a hospital bed and you know someone's about to pass. The last words that they often say, the wisdom that comes out of those words are often incredible. Most people, uh, when, when they're on the, 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 their deathbed, they say things like this. They say, I, I wish I had taken more risks in life. Many say, I wish I had laughed more. I wish I had played more. I wish I had spent more time with my family. But the Apostle Paul never said any of those. You know why? Because he had a life well lived. He had no regrets in life. And in his last meeting with these Ephesians, Paul gives us some small little pockets of wisdom 
and tells us how to live a life well lived. This is what he says in, in, in Acts, just a little further on down from what we just read. In Acts chapter 20 and verse 32, he says, he says this, And now I entrust to you, and now I entrust you to God and the message of his grace that is able to build you up and give you an inheritance with uh, all these he has set apart for himself. So basically what Paul is saying here, he's saying right now, I'm about to give you a little bit of wisdom. And with this little bit of wisdom, you will be able to gain an inheritance. An inheritance that you're going to leave behind for others, but also an inheritance that you will gain in your next life. I don't know about you, but I kind of want to gain an inheritance. I want to leave an inheritance. I would love to gain an inheritance as well. And Paul is about to tell these Ephesians, exactly this. And so this is what he says. And there's three little pockets of wisdom that he gives. And for those of you who don't don't read your Bible very often, I encourage you, read your Bible. Because even if you, you know, not a believer in Jesus Christ, because the wisdom that comes out of the pages of this book is often incredible. And, and, And what comes out of the pages of this book will set you up for life. Whether you are a Christian or not, the wisdom, and this is the wisdom that Paul gives. So the very first thing he says in Acts chapter 20 and verse 32, uh, verse 33, I should say. He says this, the first pocket of, uh, of wisdom. I have never coveted anyone's silver or gold or fine clothes. I've never coveted anyone's silver or gold or fine clothes. People tell us the secret to life, a life well lived, is not to covet other people's possessions. What does covet mean? Because it's kind of like one of those kind of strange words. To covet basically means to desire or possess something that you don't have. To desire or possess something you don't have. Paul basically saying, he says that in my life, I did not look at someone else and want what they have. And want what they have. Now, he says, he says there, I didn't covet anyone's, or I didn't desire anyone's silver or gold or fine clothes. Well, I know that some of you guys here this morning, I know that you look at my fine clothes and you desire after my fine When I wear pink sweaters, you know that you are raging with envy and you want my pink sweater. A couple of weeks ago, I told you when I first came to America, I even had some three-quarter length shorts. And I know you guys are wanting my three-quarter length shorts. I know that. Well, in all seriousness, we covet more than what we think. Every day, the temptation to covet is right in front of us. Every day we see TV commercials that are filled with things that are tempting us to desire something we don't have. We see other people in this life, and we want what they have. You know, when I was, uh, when I was young, in 1990, I said for Christmas to my parents, I wanted a computer. Now, I told them I wanted a computer, and in my mind, I knew exactly what computer I wanted. It was called an Atari ST. It was the latest, greatest thing in the world. It had 250 gigabytes of memory. I mean, that's just awesome. For those geeks out of you, you know, 250 gigabytes. Uh, uh, not 
kilobytes, I should say, not gigabytes, kilobytes. I wanted an, an Atari ST. I didn't have any games that I really wanted to play with it, but all my friends, anyone who was anyone, had an Atari ST. So Christmas came, and I couldn't wait for Christmas. And we opened all our presents, and still no computer. And it was about 8 o'clock at night. I mean, can you imagine this for a, a little kid? I was like 12 years old at the time. 8 o'clock at night, my parents said, okay, we've got one more gift. And I see in the corner this shiny like box that's wrapped, and I'm like, yes. It's my Atari ST. I'm going to be like everyone else. And I opened it. I ripped it open. And my parents were poor. I mean, we had hardly any money. I opened it. And there was a shiny second-hand used computer in there. I was like, yes, it's a computer. And then I opened the box, and I looked at the box. And it didn't say Atari ST 250 kilobytes. It said Spectrum. 48K plus. And I'm like, 48K when I wanted 250K. I was like let down. But the secret was I loved my Spectrum 48K. I didn't tell anyone I had a Spectrum 48K, but I loved my Spectrum 48K because I played exactly the games I wanted to play on it. But the difference was I wanted something someone else had. And then there was another time where everybody started wearing Nikes at school. And, every, and I, I was a big soccer person, and everyone had Nike and, and, and Adidas cleats. And I just wanted Nike or Adidas cleats. I wanted to fit in with everyone else. And I remember the day I came to school with high-tech cleats. Now, for those of you who don't know what high-tech is, high-tech is like the, I don't want to offend anyone, it's like the bottom of the bottom, and I got a lot of fun made out of it. My parents were poor, and I look back, and I'm like, hey, glad they didn't buy me Nikes. They couldn't afford it. But the reality was I coveted what someone else had, what I really didn't need myself. And that's what Paul is saying here. He's saying don't covet other people's possessions. And the reason is, is because the problem for most of us is we compare ourselves with other people. The businessman, the small businessman, compares himself to the big businessman. The single mother compares herself to the married mother. And the married mother compares herself to the young newlywed who doesn't have any kids at all. The single person compares themselves to the married person, and the married person compares themselves to the single person. And the problem is, is when we compare, one of two things happen. We either get discouraged because we don't have what we want, Or we look at other people and we become prideful because we have more than what they have. And the reality is, is when we compare, it results in a life of nothing. When you covet, you will never have enough. There will always be someone who has more than you. And so Paul says, don't bother. Thank God for what you've got right now. Okay, so the second part of uh, a little pocket of wisdom that he gives us, not just don't, don't desire what other people have. He says this in verse 34 of Acts 20, You know that these hands of mine have worked to supply my own needs and even the needs of those who were with me. Paul worked hard in his life. He was a hard worker. And he knew at the end of his life, he didn't have to repay anyone for anything in his life. 
Why? Because Paul believed in giving the best that you can give. He believed in working with his own hands. He wasn't a handout kind of guy. Meaning, he looked at at what he could do himself before he looked at what others could do for him. His motto in life was, work hard and do the best in all you can do. And I'm a big believer in giving excellence. A big believer in giving excellence. I, I believe in not being lazy, not taking shortcuts, but take your time and do a good job that you are proud of. Well, most of the time. My wife is like an excellent aholic. She is like a great, I really like, she's a graphic designer, she designs stuff, and I really like what she designs. But sometimes she can get to a point where I'm like, honey, it's time to put the project away. She keeps tweaking and doing this and doing that. She's like, it's not right. It's not right yet. But I appreciate about that about her because I believe in excellence. And what I I believe is whether you are a stay-at-home mom, whether you are a a single guy, whether you are a student, a high-flying entrepreneur, or you're just stuck in a dead-end job, excellence is the key to life. Excellence. Give average, and you'll become average. Give excellence, and you'll never regret it. If you give average, you'll probably end up regretting it. If you give your best and give excellence, you won't regret it. And let me just tell you, for those of you students here today, I was someone who, I didn't work very hard at school. Uh, I, I ended up going to university, and I scraped through my degree, and I got my degree. And it wasn't because I wasn't intelligent enough. It's just because I just could do just, just enough to pass. Just enough to pass. And I look back on all those years and all the debt that you accrue from going to university, and I'm like, what a waste. What a waste of, I could have had some of the best minds, you know, that, that were teaching me, and instead of just pouring into me and learning as much as I could, I just tried to breeze along and take shortcuts. I got my degree, and I look at it, and I'm like, you know, I really didn't have to work because I didn't give excellence. And I've changed my motto in life now. I realize that what you do, you give your best at. And that's what Paul is saying. If you can work with your own hands, work with your own hands to supply your own needs. And then the last little bit of wisdom. So we've got don't desire, don't covet other people's possessions. Work hard in all that you do. Use your hands. And then the last little bit of wisdom he gives before he leaves these Ephesians is this. Acts 20, verse 35, the very next verse. says, And I have been a constant example of how you can help those in need by working hard. You should remember the words of the Lord Jesus. It is more blessed to give than to receive. It's more blessed to give than receive. Paul was a giver. He knew that it it was always more blessed to give away than to receive in. His life was non-stop. He lived for others, not himself. He lived to give to others instead of others giving to him. And do you know what the result was? He got a life well lived. 
I encourage you today, always be a giver. Always be a giver. You know, the joy of giving always, in every occasion, outweighs the pain and the cost of actually giving. So where that means some of you dusting the cobwebs off your wallet and giving to someone in need. Maybe that means you have to reschedule your calendar a little so you need to give more time to other people. It's not just all about you. Maybe that, that, that means that, that you have to go and volunteer somewhere. Or you have to uh, pick, your, pick up a phone call and, and, and see how someone else is doing instead of waiting for them to call you to see how you're doing. It is always more blessed to give than receive. Don't hold back. Don't be stingy. Because at the end of your life, you won't be proud of your achievements if you just keep everything for yourself. The happiest people in life are those who give away, who give to others, who give their time, who give their resources, who give their energies. And so that's what Paul is telling us. He said, if you want a life well lived, then don't covet. Don't desire other people. Don't compare yourself with other people. He's saying, don't take handouts. Work. Work hard. Become excellent in all you do. And then he says, give. Give, give, and then give more and more. Three little secrets to a life well lived. And I ask you today, are you on course? Are you on course to a life well lived? Or do some of you have some work to do? I know when I read this list, I know myself, I have some work to do in my life. But trust me, you don't want to look back on your life wishing for more time. You don't want to look back on your life and see a half-done bucket list. What do you need to change in your life right now to start living a life well lived? Maybe you need to start thanking God for what you've got. You need to go home and look at all the things that God has given you and thank God for what God has given you instead of what you don't have. Maybe you need to put a little more effort and work a little harder and not take as many shortcuts. Maybe you need to start becoming a little more generous. However, these are three little pockets of wisdom. But I believe that there's a fourth key. A fourth little bit of wisdom that each of us needs. And this little bit of wisdom is a piece of wisdom that is like the foundation of everything else in our lives. And Paul gives it in another book. Not the book of Acts that we've been reading, but in another book to a, a church. There was the, the Ephesians, there was another church called the Galatians in a city called Galatia. And in Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20, this is what the Apostle Paul said. He says, my old self has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but it is Christ who lives in me. So I live on this earthly, or I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I believe that Jesus came to give you life. The Bible says that 
Jesus came, Jesus himself, he says, I have come to give you life and life to the full. He is also known as the author of life. And I believe unless you have Jesus in your life, unless you live a life that follows Jesus like Paul did, then you will never, ever be able to say, I had a life well lived. You can party all you like. You can become as rich as you like. You can have the biggest family you like. You can not covet. You, you could... Uh, you could be the biggest giver. You could work hard. But unless you have Jesus in your life, and your life is all about Jesus, then you'll never have a life well lived. I don't know about you today, but I want to live a life that is well 